This is the Doula's Guide to Preparing for Your Birth with me, Meg, also known as the Dungaree Doula. It's the podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth and parenting. My aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit-chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come. If you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me, then go and check out the very first episode for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing and all of the following episodes for some great birth and parenting preparation. If you love the podcast, you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. A huge thank you in advance if you choose to do that. Before we begin, I also want to remind you that I now have a pre-recorded online course, which is a full antenatal and hypnobirthing course that you can sign up to and work through in your own time. There are over 30 modules to work through, each made up of video content with PDF downloads, hypnobirthing MP3 tracks, relaxation tracks, journaling prompts, birth plan templates, birth partner checklists, and so, so much more. It's only £37, which is an absolute steal, but to celebrate season two of the podcast, you can use the code podcast for 20% off. Just click the link in the show notes or head to the website, which is thedungaridoulette.co.uk and head to the online course page. I also want to quickly mention a couple of things that I have coming up. So I have some workshops coming up, postpartum preparation one, your rights in pregnancy and birth and some more free hypnobirthing taster sessions, which will be linked in the show notes too. In this episode, I'm going to talk about vitamin K and I've wanted to do this episode for ages. I have been planning this episode for ages, but it is a really big topic one that I am constantly asked about and I really wanted to ensure that I could do it justice and include lots of information and also raise some questions around this routine part of maternity care but in a way that was sensitive and without bias. Um, I've had clients on all ends of the spectrum when it comes to vitamin K. I've had some choosing to have the injection without ever questioning it. I've had some choosing to have it after asking all the questions. I've had others choosing to decline without even questioning it. And others who have done huge, huge, huge amounts of research and then decided to decline. And all of those clients made the right decisions because they did what was right for them. And hopefully this episode will help you to decide what is right for you or at least give you the information to go away and work it out. So strap yourself in. It's going to be a long one, um, but I really just hope that my intention comes across with it. I really hope that nobody feels like this is trying to send them one way or the other, because I truly, truly believe that everyone's decision on what to do for their baby is the right decision for them. So I'm going to talk through what vitamin K is and I'm going to talk about why it's given. I'm going to talk about vitamin K deficiency bleeding, which is what it is used to prevent. And I'm going to talk about the pros to accepting the vitamin K. I'm going to talk about the risks of accepting it. And I'm also going to talk about the reasons why people decline it as well, so that you can sort of get a full, well-rounded view and then hopefully use that to go away and make your own decisions. So let's start with what is vitamin K. So the vitamin K that we're talking about in this episode is a man-made vitamin with a long name that I can't actually pronounce. If you listen to any episode of the podcast, you will know with this super strong Hull accent, I am not that great at pronouncing 
long words, <laughs> but, but the vitamin K that we're talking about, it's not the same as natural vitamin K. So we get natural vitamin K from food sources like leafy green vegetables. Um, natural vitamin K is a group of vitamins and it's a group of vitamins which help the blood to clot. Um, it helps our wounds to heal. And I think this is one of the first places that people maybe stumble in when we're talking about this vitamin K that we're giving to babies is that they don't realize that it is a man-made version so it is classed as a medicine. We're not giving people the vitamin K that you would find in your leafy green vegetables or your butter and things like that. But essentially, it does the same thing, right? The, the medicine works by helping your body make the blood clotting factors. And these blood clotting factors help to stop bleeding. So the patient information leaflet states that giving this long name that I can't say, <laughs> prevents and treats bleeding caused by a lack of vitamin K. And this is called vitamin K deficiency bleeding. Um, and this is a serious but rare condition. So all newborn babies who are consented are given vitamin K1 with their parents' permission. So we'll talk about vitamin K deficiency bleeding in a minute. The vitamin can be given in a couple of ways. So it's either given by an injection to your newborn in their thigh, and this is in the first few hours of their life. So this can happen wherever you've given birth. It's not something you need to go to the hospital for. So if you're choosing to birth elsewhere at home or in the birth center or wherever you are, if you're having midwives attend you, they will have it on hand and they're not going to disturb your golden hour, hopefully, to give you this injection. Um, but they do like to get it done within that couple of hours after birth. So probably when they're doing the newborn checks, if you're consenting to newborn checks, then, you know, they will do them and then they will ask you if you want to have the vitamin K, whether you want to have it by vitamin, uh, by vitamin, by injection or by these oral drops and they will give them them. If you're breastfeeding, then they'll encourage you to feed your baby while they do the injection to comfort them because obviously injections hurt. Um, but if not, like I said, you can give them by oral drop. So this is just a liquid substance and it's popped into their mouth. And again, it would be the same time within a couple of hours after birth. If you are choosing to take the oral drops, then you do have to top it up. So you have to take a second dose when the baby is seven days old and a third dose around day 28. It's a little different in some areas, but it's it's around this pattern. So it's maybe, you know, between five and seven days and between 28 and 30 days, something like that. Um, the reason for the follow-up drops is because the vitamin K is not absorbed as well, as well when it's given orally as when it is via the injection. So you need to have a top-up to keep the levels up. So why are they giving it in the first place? So we kind of just touched on it, but because babies are born with low levels of vitamin K and we don't fully know why, um, and this kind of poses some questions that we will come on to in a little bit, but we can kind of surmise that these things contribute. So vitamin K doesn't cross the placenta very well, and then breast milk contains low levels too. So it's not being topped up after birth if you are exclusively breastfeeding. And please, please, please do not let this put you off exclusively breastfeeding because there are a whole wealth of benefits that come into play here. And it's absolutely not a fault with breastfeeding. It's just not one of the main components of breastfeeding, which is neither really here or there, but just for the, um, the topic that we're talking about now, the poor vitamin K content in breast milk um, 
is just one of the reasons why it doesn't end up getting topped up by people who are exclusively breastfeeding. Um, but poor vitamin K content in breast milk does not appear to cause vitamin K deficiency bleeding either. And that has been backed up by scientific studies. So yes, please do not let it put you off breastfeeding. Um, but yeah, low levels of vitamin K in breast milk. So this injection or these drops are given to boost baby's vitamin K levels and just help them to be able to thicken up and clot their blood more easily. Newborn babies also have immature gut flora, which doesn't lend well to absorbing the vitamin K. Um, so the vitamin K that your baby will get from breast milk, because they will get a bit, is then poorly absorbed in the intestines. So there's like a multiple, uh, a multitude of factors that come into play here. The question that I mentioned that this raises for some is, is it intentional that babies have low levels of vitamin K? So, you know, babies who are born at term with no medical conditions who are otherwise healthy their levels of everything else are perfectly fine so maybe their levels of vitamin k are fine too and they don't actually need us you know all up in their business trying to rectify something that maybe doesn't need rectifying so that's just something to ponder and again i'm not advocating for either side in this podcast i'm just trying to cover all bases and all viewpoints and that is a pretty prominent viewpoint of a lot of people who do go on to decline vitamin k is that you know there must be a reason why it's lower we've evolved to a point where everything is as it should be so there must be a reason why this vitamin k is lower and again we will talk more about that in a little bit it's also worth mentioning um, that assuming that all babies have vitamin K deficiency is from a time when delayed cord clamping just simply wasn't a thing. Um, so babies were born and their cords were almost instantly clamped and cut and they had lower levels of vitamin K. So it would be interesting to see if the levels differed across the board in babies who had optimal cord clamping or a lotus birth, for example. So the cords were simply left to go white before being interfered with as a whole. Like, would it be different? It would likely still be low, but maybe not as low. There are lots of questions around this. It'd be hard to know on such a large scale um, because, so in the UK now, optimal cord clamping is becoming a little bit more common, but not as much as like, I'm in like an echo chamber where, you know, all of my clients are getting optimal cord clamping because it's something that they're researching and that they're asking for. So in my head, I'm like, everyone's doing it. But actually, when you look at sort of the wide scale data, it's not. So delayed cord clamping is happening now as standard in most trusts but delayed cord clamping is often not long enough for baby's cord to go white and for all of the blood and the stem cells and the nutrients to cross from the placenta into the baby and that is what we mean when we talk about optimal cord clamping what has been studied through vitamin k levels in the cord blood um, they're often below the detection limit which is 0.02 nanograms per milliliter and a nanogram is one billionth of a gram so teeny 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 tiny amounts of vitamin k levels in this cord blood in healthy newborns so regardless of their gestational age so we can surmise that you know it possibly wouldn't make a whole heap of difference but optimal cord clamping could make a bit of difference and it's still something i will harp on about forever because it is so important i just yeah it's something I'm a very, very, very big advocate of um, is optimal cord clamping. And, you know, it's, it's people think that it could help with the vitamin K levels. But as I've just said, there is tiny, tiny amounts. So would it make that much difference? Who We don't really know. 
So back to the point I was making, we were asking, why is vitamin K given routinely? And so we've established that babies are born with lower levels of vitamin K. So we give this synthetic version to prevent vitamin K bleeding disorder. So vitamin K, no, vitamin K deficiency bleeding. (laughs) It's confusing because the acronyms could be the same. Vitamin K deficiency bleeding. The vitamin K deficiency bleeding is really rare, super, super rare, but it's a life-threatening condition. It affects babies in three different ways. So there is early vitamin K deficiency bleeding, which is where it presents within 24 hours of babies being born. There is classic, which is where it presents within one week of the baby being born. And this is the most common. And there is late, which is where it presents from week two after birth up to six months after birth. Um, before we talk about what it is, I want to take a moment here um, to just acknowledge how awful this is. Um, vitamin K deficiency bleeding, as I've just said, is a life-threatening condition. I am going to tell you what happens in a minute and I just want to send love to anybody listening who maybe knows someone who has struggled with this or just any other aspect of having a poorly baby. It's incredibly heavy and scary to think about. If you feel like you're not in the headspace to listen right now, then, you know, tune out and come back another time or just skip forward a couple of minutes while I talk about what it is. So here's a little gap for you to take a second if you need to skip forward or turn it off or whatever you want to do. So, right, if you're still here, I assume you're ready to listen. So with vitamin K deficiency bleeding, babies cannot stop bleeding if it starts because their blood does not have enough vitamin k to support forming a clot essentially that's the simplified version of it so the bleeding can occur anywhere on the inside or outside of the body so it may be visible so it may be coming you know from the baby's eyes from the baby's nose but it can also happen inside their bodies or in their brains and this is obviously less easy to spot and this is when it becomes life-threatening there are signs that you can look out for. So, for example, smaller or minor bleeds from the skin, the nose, the mouth. This is more likely for the baby to then go on to develop bleeding in the brain or a more significant bleed. And likewise, bruising from an unknown or a seemingly small cause. And um, Babies who are still jaundiced after two weeks, who are not gaining weight, have pale stools, dark urine, or are just unusually ill. So any of those things on top of still being jaundiced after two weeks, they're signs of it as well. So this is just something, you know, if you're choosing to decline, you may wish to just have this in the back of your mind as something to look out for. But again, I do want to reiterate that these can be hard to spot. And there may also be no prior warning signs to a more serious bleed occurring. So that is why, you know, it is it is super rare, but it is also an incredibly serious condition if if it does occur. So after that heaviness, um, I just want to say, you know, please don't walk away from this podcast feeling terrified. I know like the mental load of being pregnant, especially for first time mums, can be incredibly worrying and anxiety inducing, thinking about all the things you need to consider for your baby. And I do not want to add to that. So let this, you know, sort of hopefully reassure you that it is it is super, super rare. So vitamin K deficiency bleeding roughly affects one in 11,000 full-term babies if they do not get the vitamin K. So if you do not have the injection or you do not have the oral drops, 
then your baby has a roughly 1 in 11,000 chance of developing vitamin K deficiency bleeding. So figures on this do vary, but this seems to be the sort of median and widely accepted figure. So if you decline the vitamin K at birth, your baby has a 0.01% chance of developing vitamin K deficiency bleeding. So absolutely tiny, but you know, still a risk. In the UK, it's thought that if it wasn't given, then between 10 to 20 babies out of the 800,000 recorded births in the UK every year, so there are 800,000 babies born around that anyway in the UK every year. It's not that if we didn't give the vitamin K, then around 10 to 20 of these babies could be brain damaged as a result of a bleed in the brain from vitamin K deficiency bleeding. And four to six of these 800,000 babies could die. So when you're not given vitamin K, the chance of your baby having vitamin K deficiency bleeding is 1 in 11,000, which is 0.01. The chance of them developing a brain bleed in the UK is thought to be around 10 to 20 out of 800,000. So that's around 0.001%. And the chance of them dying is around 0.0006%. And again, I'm really, really sorry if this is hard to hear. It's a truly horrible thing to think about. Um, but I just wanted to mention the actual numbers because even though they're not they're not fully accurate we can't predict these things but that's that's what's thought to be the numbers in this country and to sort of put that into a bit of perspective there are everyday things that we do which are much much riskier and we don't even think twice about so for example research suggests that for every 1,000 miles that you drive, your chances of getting into a car accident are 1 in 366, which is 0.27%. But none of us are particularly worried about that. And I'm not comparing the two things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't worry about these risks to our babies or anything like that. I'm just saying there is risk involved in literally everything in life, you know, from getting out of bed, from driving to work. You know what I'm saying? So comparatively... The risks of a baby developing vitamin K deficiency bleeding without accepting vitamin K are a teeny, chance, a teeny tiny. And the chance of them developing it when accepting the vitamin K are even teenier and tinier. So please don't let this consume your thoughts or your worries. It is incredibly rare, whatever you decide to do. But if it is something that you know you are incredibly worried about and you want to lessen those risks even more, then the injection or the oral drops are there to put your mind at rest. That is the point I'm trying to get to. So, you know, there is always, always a risk, but please do understand that it is incredibly, incredibly small. There are also some risk factors which can contribute to babies developing vitamin K bleeding, uh, deficiency bleeding. Um, so I'll quickly mention those. So babies who are premature, uh, babies who have liver disease, um, that may show as prolonged jaundice or as other symptoms such as those that we mentioned above, um, those who fail to take or find it hard to absorb feeds and those who are ill for other reasons. But I can't find any solid research into how much the risk actually increases when these risk factors are present. It seems to be only slightly significant and the numbers, even in these babies, um, the risk factor is still so, so, so small. Um, maternal malabsorption disorders and medications can inhibit the activity of vitamin K and those things can increase the risk to babies as well. So things like um, anti-epileptic drugs, certain antibiotics, and for example, like blood thinners, like 
what I don't know how you say that <laughs> I've only ever seen it written down now I'm trying to say it I can't think of how to say it but I've had clients actually who've been on blood thinners um the one that begins with a W anyway if you are on any of those things that can increase the risk to baby as well um so recent studies have also suggested that pregnancy conditions such as preeclampsia and intrauterine growth restriction um which placenta which impairs placental function can affect placental transfer of vitamin K even more so that can increase the risk as well so if you have any of those things then it's something that you know you might want to do more research into you might want to talk to healthcare professionals about um there's been talk about you know upping the vitamin K in pregnancy or having vitamin K shots during pregnancy as well if you have any of these things so it's something that you may want to look into so that's vitamin K deficiency bleeding in a nutshell and that is why vitamin K is given so let's chat about if it is safe so I've already mentioned that it is a proven and effective way to reduce the risk of vitamin K deficiency bleeding and to up the levels of vitamin K in your babes and for most people like that's enough that's all they need to know and if that is you you know absolutely fine Vitamin K deficiency bleeding is life-threatening and the vitamin K injection or drops are a proven way to reduce the risk of this. And that is a fact. So regardless of whether you agree with accepting it or not, it is a fact that it does lower the risk to, you know, to virtually nothing, to such a small percentage. It's super, super small. Um, It's a super small percentage anyway, (laughs) but it does lower it even further, which, you know, which does save babies' lives. So... I really hope that nothing in this podcast sounds judgy or like I have an opinion either way because actually my opinion on this this topic is somewhere in the middle (laughs) it's something that I really go back and forth on quite a lot to be honest um but yeah I don't want there to be any sort of judgment in the turn of this podcast you know it it has saved lives this injection it has saved lives and for a lot of people that is more than enough that is more than enough for them to go yeah that's right for me. That's right for my baby. So the pros of your baby receiving the vitamin K is that it does its job. It lowers the risk of your baby developing this. That's great. Um, it's also thought to be low risk in terms of side effects too. We'll cover that in a second. Um, it's also the only option. So questions have been asked around, you know, efficiency and policy and, you know, if there are alternative ways that we can try and stop um, this from happening or that we can improve babies um levels of vitamin k and stuff like that but nothing's likely to change because this has been found to be the most cost effective way for improving short-term outcomes so you know it's either accept or decline there's no in-between option so you know that's a pro for some people it's also a con for some people um interestingly there is an alternative that seems to work but it is unaccessible to us but I wanted to include it because I found it quite interesting so there's been a screening test program to detect vitamin k deficiency um, in the breastfed population in Japan using what is called normo test so it's essentially a blood coagulation test via a heel puncture um, so you know like in the UK you have the heel prick test on I think when your baby's around like three day three if you're accepting it um where there is like a puncture to the heel and blood specimens are collected in little microtubes so that happens in a normal test um and they're basically checking if your baby um can if their blood can coagulate that's what they're checking for so the screening test program was substituted 
for prophylactic vitamin K administration, which is what we do now. Um, And the reasoning given was because heel punctures are more invasive, difficult and expensive than vitamin K administration. So they did this test and it worked. You know, they were taking blood from the heels of babies, checking it if they were at risk, if they weren't, you know, being able to clot their blood, then they were given vitamin K. If everything looked fine, then they were just left. And I think the reason why I found it interesting is because I think a lot of people would find that easier to consent to. So even though it says that the, the heel punctures are more invasive, that's, I guess it's true, possibly more invasive but also you're not injecting anything into your baby they're just withdrawing a tiny bit of blood so a lot of people would probably find that a lot more easier to accept rather than injecting our babies with something um but because it was more expensive and more difficult for them to do they decided we're not going to do that we're just going to carry on giving everybody vitamin k instead so like everything you know it comes down to money it always comes down to money (laughs) but yeah I mean there's possibly more to it than that I couldn't find much more information but I just thought it was interesting I thought it was food for thought um yeah I feel like a lot of people would prefer prefer this blood test especially the people that were already accepting you know the heel prick test you could just do it when you're doing that but yeah it's not something that we're offered here it's you know yeah slightly off topic (laughs) I'll try and steer it back now um but yeah to summarize potentially life-saving that's enough of a prayer for most people and you know that's where I'm just going to leave this segment because I feel like I've covered all the research I've covered why we're giving it um I've covered you know what it's preventing and that for the majority of people is yeah more than enough happy give me the injection or give me the drops um, the cons are the reason why people do decline very massively. So I'll start off by talking about the standardized side effects. Um, but as I've just said, for most people, this is actually a massive plus because the side effects are so few. Um, so what you've got to do is, you know, weigh up, do the benefits of having of having the vitamin K and lowering the risks of vitamin K deficiency bleeding outweigh the side effects when you accept So just like you would anything else in pregnancy, you know, use the brain tool. If you don't know what the brain tool is, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then listen to my episode on decision making in pregnancy or, you know, sign up to my online course. Shameless plug there. (laughs) But decision making tools are super, super helpful. So the patient information leaflet, which, by the way, should be given to all parents before their baby is given vitamin K, but isn't. And it drives me mad because All medications given by healthcare professionals come with patient information leaflets, you know, just basically like when you buy any medication over the counter, so say you was picking up some paracetamol or something, it would come with that big, long patient information leaflet inside it. When you are given medicine or drugs at the hospital, you are meant to be given these leaflets and they always say at the top, please read all of this leaflet carefully before your baby or child is given this medicine. Keep this leaflet. You may need to read it again. But in like all my years as a doula and my own personal experience, I have never seen nor of my clients being seen or given any of these leaflets. I'm always having to look them up online. So it's just, it does annoy me a little bit because there's important information in these leaflets that we're simply not being given. How can you give informed consent for something if you haven't seen the information? So rant aside, I will pop the link to the patient information leaflet for vitamin K 
in the show notes so check it out if you do wish and the leaflet states the following side effects may happen with this medicine allergic reactions the signs may include swelling of your baby or child's throat face lips and mouth this may make it difficult for them to breathe or swallow a sudden swelling of your baby or child's hands feet and ankles and a reaction where the injection was given rarely this may be severe signs include redness swelling pain and it may cause a scar so they're the only two side effects in the leaflet and you know for some maybe this sounds monumental but for others they may sound like absolutely not worth thinking about ever again what it doesn't state is how often these side effects occur which is quite frustrating because in a lot of patient information leaflets they're quite forthcoming with this and it'll say for example like one in a thousand patients will experience i don't know x y and z as a side effects but in this one it doesn't it just says like all medicines so conochion i don't know how you say it. i've said that anyway the vitamin k blah 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 can cause side effects although not everyone gets them so that's all it says like all medicines it can cause side effects but not everyone gets them which is quite vague and i've tried to research myself but i haven't managed to find any information on how often the side effects occur in the side effects information of the active ingredients of the drug it states rarely injection site reactions may occur which may be severe including inflammation atrophy and necrosis so that's just some extra ones um that come up when you look further into it so slightly more serious but again it doesn't say the frequency and it does say rarely next i want to talk about the ingredients in the vitamin k um these are in both the injection and in the oral drop so this is where we start going a little bit deeper and yeah we're gonna like start questioning a little bit um it's taken me a lot of time to research this um and yeah just bear with as we go through it so the main ingredient is called phytomenidine i think i don't know i don't know <laughs> i think that's how you say it it's included in the references if you would like to read it and that is the synthetic vitamin k essentially but then you also have some extra ingredients so you have glycolic acid which is a bile acid so the reason this is included is because babies don't yet have a fully developed bile and pancreas system when they have a newborn so they cannot fully absorb the vitamin k we've already spoke about that from research i cannot see any side effects to this being included um but this is a reason that some people state as factoring into their decision to decline vitamin k so they sort of say well if babies cannot yet absorb vitamin k then should be really be giving them it you know research has shown that absorption is limited in the absence of bile so it needs to be included but just as we wouldn't give babies anything but breast milk, like we wouldn't give them any food or anything like that for the first six months until they can handle it, should we be giving them medicines which they cannot yet absorb with acids in them that they would have developed themselves naturally in due course? And again, I'm not advocating for any side. I'm just stating the questions that come up for people when thinking about vitamin K. The other ingredients are something called lecithin, which is like a fatty substance. And um, this is essential to many cells in the body. And again, generally considered safe. But there are side effects of taking it, which can include diarrhea, nausea, stomach pain, increased saliva in the mouth and a feeling of fullness. Um, whether or not the levels in the vitamin K could cause this reaction is, you know, I wouldn't like to say it's not listed as a risk of it. And there is no research I can see into the side effects but those side effects are stated as being caused by consumption of lecithin in some people. 
Another ingredient is sodium hydroxide. Now, this is a weird one because this is not something that we as humans should really be digesting. This was a big one for me when I started doing my research into it because sodium hydroxide can be very corrosive. It can cause severe burns in all tissues that it comes to contact with. So I was like, why the hell is this in a medicine that we're giving to newborns? It's corrosive, you know, um, it's just, it didn't sit right with me, but when I looked at the patient information leaflet, that does state, it says, this medicine is essentially sodium free as it contains less than one millimole sodium, sodium per milliliter. So essentially what it's saying is that it's such a small amount that it's not going to cause harm, but it is listed as an ingredient. So it is in it, but it's such a small amount that they're saying it's essentially could be classed as sodium free. It just made me personally a bit on edge knowing that this compound is used. You know, we use it to make drain and oven cleaners. We use it in products that explode. We use it in dyes and petroleum products. And then we're injecting it into babies. So, and before anyone comes at me, I know I've just stated, you know, the levels are so low that we shouldn't be worried. I'm just saying that, you know, it is something that did kind of get the cogs going a little bit. <laughs> like, why is this included? Um... And then finally, there's hydrochloric acid, which is a necessary stomach acid. But again, when you research this, this is also a corrosive and can cause eye damage or even blindness if splashed in the eyes. It can cause severe burns and um, ingestion of hydrochloric acid can cause severe injury to the mouth, throat, esophagus and stomach. Now, of course, most babies are receiving these vitamin K injections or drops, like in the UK especially most babies are receiving vitamin k injection or drops and most babies are not coming away with burns or diarrhea or going blind or anything like that are they so i am really not trying to create hysteria around these medicines which have been proven to be safe i am simply sharing the ingredients and what they are and what they have got the capacity to do because this has been a cause for concern for some and many who choose to, dec to decline because they don't want to inject their newborn babies with this stuff when they're brand new and they're just into life outside of the world and they have such fragile immune systems and microbiomes and stuff like that so I think it is worth thinking about I understand why some people would happily just be like but it says it's safe so it's safe but there are other people who you know like to know every single thing and might still feel comfortable that it is safe but do just want to know so that's everything that's included and as I said I will include the leaflet in the show notes so do go and have a look yourself um also, just to mention, this is in the UK. So this specific version is given in the UK and I believe in America too. So in the US, I'm not sure about anywhere else. It may be different. So it might be worth looking up what, um, like what type of vitamin K is given in your country. But yeah, it's never discussed that there are other ingredients in the medication. So even if none of those things bother you, because it is such small amounts, I'm sure it's not a big deal for a lot of people. But even so, I do think it's important to know what we're giving to our babies when they are you know fresh out of the womb and finally let's just talk about why some of the other reasons people choose to decline so i can't find the statistics on how many people decline vitamin k in the uk but in the us it's estimated that the frequency of refusal of vitamin k by parents ranges from not to three percent in hospitals up to 14% in home births and up to 30% in birthing centres, 
which is interesting because I don't think it's that high in the UK in my experience. I know I have a very small sample size judging on my clients, but I feel like more people get it than the in this country. Um, with my doula clients, probably 50-50, but in hypnobirthing clients, from what they've told me, most of them seem to have it. And I also think I'm in a bit of an echo chamber of people who are very much you know, very well researched and more holistic than your average person giving birth. So my numbers will be definitely skewed when comparing that to the average population of the UK. I think it is very, very common to be given it. I do not think that up to 30% of people are declining it. Absolutely not in this country, but I cannot find the actual stats. I wonder if maybe because in America the care is different and it's paid for, there are probably other factors that come into play. But yeah, long-winded way of saying I have no idea what the uptake is in the UK, but I think it's probably really high. But here are some of the reasons why people do decline. So a reason that I personally hear a lot, which has gained a fair bit of traction, is around this idea that, so baby's blood is thinner for a reason. Like we mentioned earlier, a lot of people think, you know, baby's blood is thinner for a reason. And that reason, some people believe, is because the blood which transfers from the placenta into your baby when they are born is full of stem cells. And we know this for a fact. So this isn't like a conspiracy theory or anything. This is a fact. The blood that is in the cord that is being transferred into your baby during those initial minutes after birth is absolutely full of stem cells. And that is one of the reasons why optimal cord clamping is so important. So these stem cells can protect babies against bleeding and also have like many, many other functions. So stem cells are basically like the body's raw material and they develop into all different types of cells. So like muscle cells, brain cells, they recreate functional tissues, functional cells. They're like a repair system for whatever our body needs them for. And there is this thought, which is becoming more prominent in people who are choosing to decline vitamin K, that the reason baby's blood is thinner at birth is by design. And the blood needs to remain thin so that these stem cells can easily travel to where they are needed and begin to initiate and perform their functions. And, you know, I don't want to be getting into conspiracy theory territory or whatever, because technically, you know, this may not be the actual reason why I've said we don't know why baby's blood is thinner. But I do feel like this makes sense when you think about it. Um, it is true that the blood is packed full of stem cells and they need to be able to easily transfer through the body. So again, this is just some food for thought. You know, of course, babies receiving vitamin K, receiving optimal cord clamping, they still get their full blood quota. They still get their full stem cell quota. So for many, you know, this is more than enough of a benefit and the added peace of mind from the vitamin K sort of negates this worry. But you know, for a lot of others, they're saying, no, we shouldn't be thickening up their blood straight away. We should be giving them a chance to get these stem cells through their body as they need to, and their blood will thicken up in time. So that's one train of thought. And then following on, there was some research done. Again, this was in America, but this looked at the reasons given for declining. And I'll tell you the most popular ones now. Um, and I will leave the link to this in the show notes if you would like to read it. So the most popular concern of harm from the injection, um, the most popular concern was harm from the injection, a desire to be natural, which then went on to state the initial, the additional drivers of the desire to be natural included parents' religious beliefs and a belief that vitamin K deficiency is to be expected for infants. So we kind of spoke about that earlier, you know, how many people believe that lower levels of vitamin K is just normal, we should let their bodies work uh, and rectify the levels themselves in due course. 
um, a belief in alternative methods of prophylaxis, stating some parents preferred natural sources of vitamin K, and this preference included increasing the mother's own dietary intake of vitamin K during the pregnancy. So some people, you know, just felt it's normal, but that they would try and up their own levels of vitamin K so that, you know, they could get more nutrients into the placenta, more nutrients into their breast milk. Um, other reasoning given included concern about preservatives or ingredients. So like we just went through that list of the ingredients. Some people were concerned about the ingredients. Some people were concerned about adverse reactions. Some people were concerned about harmful effects of the pain for the infant and how that might impact them having, you know, the pain of the injection so soon into their life. There were concerns about the dose being too high, concerns about potentially overwhelming the infant's immune system, a desire to minimise the infant's exposure to toxins. And then finally, one that I found quite um, interesting was the placement of trust and mistrust. So people were saying that they mistrusted the medical and pharmaceutical community and gained influence from social circles, the internet and social media, which makes sense. It is very easy to get caught up in other people's opinions on what is best for you. And at the end of the day, you know, only you can decide what's best for you and your baby. And hopefully, you know, this podcast will go on to help you make that decision about what feels right for you and your circumstances and can help you step away from anyone that's telling you it's black or white. Anyone that's saying you should 100% have it. There's no risk to even look into it. But then it would, should also steer you away from the other people who are saying it's incredibly dangerous. You don't even need to look into it. Just don't have it. You know, hopefully this is going to help you. Find where you fall on that one extreme to the other. And I think I'm going to leave it there because this has been, you know, a big, a big podcast, a big topic. It's probably the most thorough episode I've done in a while. And, you know, I really hope that you found it interesting. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's taught you something you may not have known much about. It's something I'm constantly asked about. And I've wanted to do this episode for ages, like I said at the beginning. But I wanted to make it respectful to both sides of the argument. You know, to try and make it as balanced as possible without spreading any misinformation or causing people to stress. And I hope that that has come across. So please go away and make decisions that feel right for you. Know what anyone else is saying or telling you to do. Do what is right for you. If you want to accept the injection, you know, that doesn't make you a neglectful parent. It doesn't mean that you're not holistic or that you don't care about toxins or whatever. It doesn't mean that. It means you're doing the best to keep your baby safe. And equally, if you do not feel that accepting vitamin K is right for you, then again, you're not a neglectful parent either. You are not risking your baby. It's for you to weigh up the risks and make the decisions that are right for your family. So sorry if I boggled anyone's mind a little bit with this episode. <laughs> I hope it has helped and not just like created a million more questions for you. Um, I hope that it helps. I hope it hits the right people. I hope that my intentions have come across in the right way. And just another note to send my love to anyone who has dealt with vitamin K deficiency, bleeding or any other newborn illness. I am holding space for you in my thoughts because I cannot imagine and I'm sat here from a privileged position of having two incredibly healthy children. So I, yeah, I, I can't relate to those and I know that that is a privilege. So I'm holding space for you in my thoughts if you have suffered from anything that we have discussed today in this episode. 
thank you for listening if you'd like to discuss this or any other aspect of your pregnancy and birth in more detail then book in for a power hour with me a one-off session to get clarity on your circumstances for just 50 pounds i'll pop the info in the show notes and remember whilst you're there to check out all the references too and to also go and sign up for my hypnobirthing course whilst you're there i promise you it's very very good and you can use the code podcast to get that little discount that i mentioned earlier if you have any more questions, come hang out on Instagram where I'm at the Dungaree Doula and please let me know if you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe or leave a little review if you don't mind. It would be so very helpful. Speak soon. Bye.